Yeah, go out that way. That way. Go ahead and grab a seat, and we are going to go ahead and jump in. I know. I know, Frankie. All right, so let's address the elephant in the room first before we, we talk about anything else. Yes, USC lost yesterday, and... I probably am responsible for that, so my bad. And you know what? Go Notre Dame. That's all I can say. Thank you. Now, let's see how they do next week. Um, okay, and, and some of you have been coming up and going, what's going on, Eric? You give blood this morning? No, uh, I was reminded that gravity is still in effect even after you're over the hill. So um, apparently my skateboarding days are beyond me or behind me. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, I, and, and you know what? I have so appreciated all of you who have come up after the fact and said, Eric, you shouldn't skateboard. And it's like, really? You think? So I appreciate that. And uh, Ramsey, I get your pain. Like, it was so difficult to button my shirt today. It takes just a little bit longer. Um, anyway, I am, wow, I, there's a whole lot of feedback going on right now. All right, we're good. So if you have, were not here last week, we are in a series through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is very, very, it, it is not a standalone book. It's, it's going to be something we are going to steep ourselves in over the, the next like six months plus. Because there's such a richness to us. And, and what we talked about last week is the fact that the book of Acts is actually part two of a conversation that begins in the Gospels. In the Gospel of Luke in particular, because Acts is written by Luke as a continuation of Jesus' ministry. In fact, it, the way we described it is if, if the book of Luke, or the Gospel of Luke, is about Jesus coming to earth being born into our existence, walking amongst us for a season, ultimately dying for our sins, being resurrected and ascending back into heaven. He is like a rock that struck the surface of the pond of our reality. And then the book of Acts is like the, the reverberations, the waves that begin to go out as, as the men and women who have tasted and seen that God is good, who have seen that Jesus truly is the long-awaited Messiah, who is there to redeem all of mankind, as they begin to go and share the good news, beginning in Judea and in, in you know, the, the surrounding areas of, around Jerusalem, into Samaria towards those untouchables, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. So it's more than just a book about a, a group of individuals who are left to pick up the pieces after their charismatic leader has died. This is a book about a people who have been awoken to the fact that God is good and he's for everyone. And so we are going to just steep ourselves in it. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to plow some of the same ground we did last week, but we're going to take a slightly different focus this week. And so Acts chapter 1, if, if, you're look, if, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. Please grab it. I'd really love for you to follow along. If you don't own a Bible, the one in the seat back in front of you is yours. We've got plenty of others, so go ahead and take that one. And so Acts chapter 1, and, and Luke writes, In my former book, Theophilus, remember Theophilus is probably Luke's patron who's been supporting him as he has been traveling around with Paul on a missionary journey. He, Theophilus is probably a Gentile just like Luke was, and he is writing 
to kind of say, hey, I have looked into all of these things you've been hearing. I can tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt, Jesus is the real deal. So in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you all about what Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. I find it so interesting that he uses that word began. Because it is indicative of the fact that although Jesus has already ascended into heaven, his ministry was in no way complete. It was just beginning. Yes, the shackles of sin and death had been taken care of. Yes, the curtain had been torn. We, as God's image bearers, could come directly into his presence. And that is good news for everybody, but... People still need to hear the good news. People still need to be to realize that they are invited into a narrative that is far bigger than their own little minuscule narrative. And after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to his disciples and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now that term kingdom of God is, is a term we leaned heavily into last week. Because the kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurated through his, his birth, his death, his resurrection, the kingdom of God is so much bigger than the kingdom of Israel or any earthly kingdoms. And so we talked about the distinction between human kingdoms, the kind of kingdoms that we get focused on, whether that's America or our own personal little kingdom. For the, for the disciples, it was the kingdom of Israel. God, Jesus, are you at this time going to kind of reestablish Israel as the preeminent nation? And put us back on the top of the, of the pyramid on the world stage. And Jesus is going, guys, you're missing the point because I have not just come to redeem Israel. I've come to redeem all mankind. What I'm bringing is good news of great joy for everybody, not just for the Jews. And whereas our, our, our earthly kingdoms typically have walls and we, we defend our boundaries and our borders and we determine who's in and who's out, typically by who's different from us, who thinks differently than us. And we divide and we separate. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, transcends those boundaries. Things like socioeconomic boundaries, things like um, culture, skin color, languages, Gender, these things that we so quickly use to distinguish ourselves from one another. He says, those things don't separate us in the family of God. Yes, we may have been born to different parents. Yes, we may have been born in different places. Yes, we may have radically different uh, paths that we have walked that have brought us here today. But as Sarah has so rightly pointed out, we our family because we are in Christ and we are part of a much larger kingdom. And yes, there are some 55 other iterations of the church meeting just in the boundaries of Costa Mesa this weekend. But the reminder for us is there's really only one church. Jesus is the head of all of them. And we're family. We're all part of this kingdom. And this is good news, not just for those of us who are in, this, in the walls of this building today. This is good news of great joy for everybody. And Jesus was trying to point out to his disciples, guys, you're going to need to broaden your horizons because what I'm going to do is going to be radical. Now, he basically tells his disciples, I'm going to hand the baton of ministry. What I started, I'm going to hand that baton to you and you're going to continue my ministry. 
Because I'm going back to the Father, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I can, I, I just put myself in the posture or the position of the disciples and think about what that must have sounded like to them. Like, wait a minute, Jesus, you just got back. Like, we're stoked you're here. We were expecting, like, now it's time to take, take Rome and knock them off their pedestal. You going somewhere? And wait a minute, you, you mean that we have to fill your shoes? That's not going to work. I mean, you're God. And you know very well we're not. I can especially see Peter, right? Peter just going, yeah, you know I'm not Jesus. So, so how on earth are we possibly supposed to do what you've been doing? How are we supposed to advance your kingdom when they killed you? What do you think they're going to do to us? And that is why Jesus' very first command recorded in the book of Acts is not to go. His very first command is actually to wait. Go check out verse 4 with me. He says this in verse 4. On one occasion while Jesus was eating with his disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't run out there and start sharing the gospel. Wait. For the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the same Spirit that empowered me at my baptism before I even began my public ministry, that Holy Spirit, God's Spirit came upon me. And it was that Spirit that buoyed me through the entire public ministry. And it was the Spirit of God that raised me from the dead. That same Spirit is coming for you. It's not just going to be for a select few anointed prophets. Not just for a select few like the king. This is going to fall upon all of you, and all of you will be my witnesses, my martyrs. That's the, the, um, that, that's the actual Greek term, is martyr, is what it means to be a witness. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. And he goes on in verse 8. Even when he's commissioning them to go, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea. And Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Implicit in his statement is that before you can go, and yes, going is important, but before you can go, before you will be ready to represent me, before you will be ready to be my sent ones, the term that he uses is apostle. Apostle simply means one who has been sent to represent another. Before you can go be my witnesses and my ambassadors, beginning here in Jerusalem, in the wider area of Judea, and into the, the, the places that you don't want to go, to the untouchables, in the, in the Samaritan region, and ultimately to the ends of the earth, before you go, you need to wait. Because I'll tell you, if you try to go by your own strength, and you try to do what I'm calling you to do on your own initiative, you're going to fail. Fail big. You're going to make nothing but a, an unholy mess. And totally misrepresent the heart of my Father. But if you are filled with my Spirit, the Spirit of the living God that empowered me through my public ministry, if that same Spirit is on you, then there is nothing that can stand in your way. Verse 9. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. So he ascends. 
And while they were looking up intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Some angels show up and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Don't, don't, don't just get fixated on, on Jesus going. He's coming back. But you have a job to do. And so the disciples are left kind of reeling, going, okay, hold on a second. I do not feel prepared. This is a big deal. And they've been, remember, they are in the Jerusalem area, the same region where 40 days before the Jewish elite had murdered their rabbi. They're a group of people who are terrified for their lives. And suddenly he's gone and they're left going, okay, now we're supposed to represent him. And the last thing he said is before you go, wait. And so that's what they do. They make their way back into Jerusalem and back into this upper room where they and about a hundred and about 110 others. So there's 120 in total, Luke tells us. Believers in Jerusalem gathered together and they take a posture of waiting for about 10 days. And while they are waiting, they are praying. Praying that, that Jesus would make good on the promise that the Father would send His Spirit to them. Praying that they would have the courage to do what Jesus is telling them that they need to do. Praying that he would give them the very words to say when the time comes. So for 10 days, they wait and they pray and they worship like we've done this morning. Just creating an atmosphere of dependence on their knees together. And then comes the day of Pentecost. Let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. Pentecost is an interesting word. We think of it just as a day, but Pentecost means 50. And it was 50 days after uh, the Passover, which means it's about 50 days after Jesus was arrested and crucified. And, And Pentecost was a day that in the Jewish calendar was a really big day. Because it was one of the high holy feast days when people would course from all over the world into Jerusalem to worship at the temple to bring the first fruits of their harvest. It was, it corresponded with the wheat harvest. And so it was a a celebration of the harvest and a celebration of the first fruits. But within the Jewish culture and within the Jewish calendar, it had come to take a secondary meaning for them. Because it was also a day that they began to celebrate God's covenanting with them as a people and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai when God basically said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And I'm going to give you my law to help set you apart from all of the other nations so that you will be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests representing my heart to the rest of the nations so that by blessing you, they will all be blessed. Remember, implicit upon this is that God was saying, I'm going to use you to draw the world back to me. This blessing is not just for you. But unfortunately, what had happened within the Jewish culture as they had taken the law and rather than using it as a way of helping set themselves apart so they were a light for the nations, 
They had used, they had focused on the law and made it about themselves. If we simply do these things, God will bless us. These things make us better than the nations. And they fixated on the rules and upon the laws and they made them almost like a ladder that you have to try to climb to get into God's presence to attain righteousness. But we know that nobody will be declared righteous by observing the law. It is any ladder that I were to build to try to make my way into heaven would be woefully insufficient. And unfortunately, the law became an impediment to them actually doing the very thing that God had called them to do, which was to be his representatives, to be a kingdom of priests that drew the rest of the nations to him. And so interestingly, on a day when you would celebrate the giving of the law, and God calling a people to be a holy nation, to be a light to the other nations, God replaces the law with something even more personal and even more powerful and even more transformative than the law ever was. He replaces it with the Holy Spirit, with His Spirit. And He says, this Spirit will now be your guide. This Spirit will now be your source of empowerment. This Spirit will be the thing that enables you to do the very thing I've called you to do. Namely, be my representatives. And by the way, this is right in line with with Moses. Moses always recognized that the law was not going to be the way that that they would be transformed. In fact, at one point, we see this in uh, Exodus chapter 11. I'm sorry, in Numbers chapter 11. Moses actually prays, man, I wish that everybody had the Holy Spirit so that they could prophesy. I wish that God would pour out His Spirit on all of His people. But up till this point, that had not been the case. And then on Pentecost, some 50 days after Jesus gave his life and inaugurated his kingdom, that gift that Moses had prayed about hundreds of years before, that fulfillment of what God has been calling his people to do, comes to pass when the Holy Spirit comes. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I just, I think of those verses we were singing earlier today. Come spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Awake me from my sleep. Blow through the caverns of my soul. There's a sound like a blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. I just want to point out that wind and fire were two pieces of imagery that throughout the Jewish culture signified the spirit of God. Remember in Ezekiel, the valley of dry bones, and God breathes into his people, and those bones take on flesh, and they become an army for him. And God led his people in a pillar of cloud at nighttime as he led them out of slavery, and suddenly this fire separates and now begins to fall on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So typically when we talk about 
speaking in tongues. A lot of times we think within the church we're talking about an unintelligible prayer language that only the Holy Spirit understands. And it's a way of kind of submitting our tongue to the Holy Spirit and praying in a way that, you know, we're almost humbled because we're not in control. And then the Spirit takes that and and brings it before God. That's what we typically talk about when we talk about speaking in tongues. But that's not what Luke is suggesting is happening here. Because as they are speaking in tongues, people in Jerusalem that are from many, many other nations hear the gospel message being preached in their own language, which means that the tongues that they're speaking are actually foreign languages that are the languages of the foreigners that are in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. When they heard, so they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound of the disciples worshiping in tongues, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't those who are speaking Galileans, like people from that backwater, uneducated fishermen? How is it that each of us then hears Them in our native language, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Now, we'll continue to look at more of that next week. But I just want to consider what we've just read. Remember, I think there's, the fact that this all happens on Pentecost is not, is absolutely not coincidental. Not only is there the imagery of, of the fact that God gave the law and now he's giving the spirit to be their guide to enable his people to be his representatives. But remember that Pentecost was a celebration of the harvest, a celebration of the first fruits. And remember that Jesus said, wait for the gift my father promised, the gift of my Holy Spirit, and then, then you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, beginning here and in the, in the wider region of Judea, into Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. The fact that it happened on Pentecost means that people from the ends of the earth are already in Jerusalem. And they hear the gospel message in their own language. And what we're going to find out next week is that on that single day, some 3,000 people give their hearts to Jesus. They are compelled simply by the message that the disciples speak, buoyed along by the Holy Spirit, empowered. Because remember, these were a terrified group of people who had been huddled in an upper room, and suddenly the Spirit just kind of pushes them outside. It's almost like a a butterfly escaping the cocoon, and they have been cocooned for a long time, kind of hiding from the world, and the Holy Spirit transforms them, and when they emerge, they're a radically different people. And over 3,000 people give their hearts to Jesus on one day. And if we consider the fact that there were only 120 disciples in that upper room, that means that it is 25 times that the church was multiplied in one day. And those 3,000 people, that increase of 2,500% in the church, 
That is the first fruits of the kingdom of heaven breaking out and reverberating in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth are there. And God does immeasurably more. So yes, wait. Because if you try to do this on your own, maybe you'll convert one or two. Maybe they'll be convinced for a bit until, you know, something better comes along. But if you wait for my Holy Spirit, you will do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine because it will be me doing it through you. Does this make sense? There's just such beauty in God's timing and in the way he approaches things. So I, I have to ask, so what, right? This is the question I always ask. That's interesting information. But I can't help but ask, in what ways, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't like waiting. I don't. Waiting is such an un-American posture. I get impatient when my kids are trying to tie their shoelaces, so much so that we have given our youngest Velcro. He's going to get to college and not know how to tie his shoes. Um, I get impatient in waiting at the line at, at in and out over on 17th Street. And I'm constantly like scanning like which one's going to move faster, right? I get impatient when I go to Costco. And I again, I am scanning lines to figure out which one's moving faster. And sometimes I will force one of my family members to stand in a different line on the off chance that it's moving 30 seconds quicker. I get impatient when it takes my, my phone or, or my computer more than a couple of seconds to download the web page I'm going to. I know I'm not alone in here on that. In fact, I was reading just this last week that they did a study in Europe where people become irate after waiting 16 seconds for a web page to load. And I'm like, 16 seconds? That's an eternity, right? We here in America have done everything we can to alleviate waiting from our lives. So much so that... Download speeds that were considered lightning fast two years ago are ridiculously slow today because if you don't have a hundred, you know, megs per second right now, you are in the dark ages. So waiting grates on our, our American soul. We don't even want to wait. <laughs> Growing up, I had to wait each week to watch the next episode of a show. We don't do that anymore. We wait till the, the season is over and then we binge watch it on one of our streaming services, right? And yet the posture that Jesus invites his disciples and the posture that Jesus invites us into is wait. Wait for me to move. Wait for my spirit to come. Wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Because again... You do not have the ability to do what I'm asking you to do by your own strength. You are desperately in need of my spirit. And I just wonder in this room how comfortable we are with waiting. I was, I was reading um, a study, and I, again, you know, 
sometimes numbers can, can just almost feel like they're made up. But I was reading one study that said something like it feels like 95% of what happens in churches can be accounted for apart from the Holy Spirit. In other words, the majority of what we do is done by human strength and ingenuity, by our own wisdom. And I just can't help but go on how much of that is true for us. I mean, why are you here this morning? Why did you come? Did you come to, to sing? It, was it the worship that drew you here this morning? Was it, was it the message? Was it you hoping to learn something more it, so that your intellect could be teased a little bit more? A nugget that you can kind of put right down in your notes and forget about as you go on with your regularly scheduled lives. Maybe you came for the community. We have a vibrant community of people. And sometimes just being able to be with our brothers and sisters is enough to get us out of bed. Or maybe it's the donuts and the coffee and the fruit platter. I don't know. Why are you here? Are you here because you're expectant that God's spirit will show up? And, I, and I'm intentional when I use the word expectant. It's different than expectation. Expectations are this is what it's got to look like. God, you showed up in a burning bush for Moses. I'm expecting something to burst into flames today. Pray it's not my car. Expectations say it has to look a certain way. Expectancy is I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm so excited to find out. It's like when I get to hang out with one of my friends and it's like... I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm really looking forward to it. It's like being a part of our life group. Sometimes I go, I don't have a clue what tonight will look like, but I'm so excited to be there and find out because I'm expectant that God will meet us and that God will minister to my heart through that community of Christ followers who are vying for their faith, who are contending, who are running after Jesus together. Did you come today expectant that God's spirit would meet you? We are doing the book of Acts because about three months ago, God woke me up out of a dead sleep at about 2.30 in the morning with a verse on my heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith would not rest on human wisdom, but upon God's power. And I could not help but ask myself as I lay there in the darkness of my room, is that true of Lighthouse? And is that true of me? And I have to admit that it was not. I, I can't speak for our church, but I can speak for myself. I do not show up with an intentional understanding that I am radically dependent upon the Holy Spirit showing up. I don't show up here basically with the mindset that if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, this is going to be awkward. I show up prepared. I've got my notes. I may not have to look at them, but they're there. I've practiced. I've studied. I've spent time preparing. And a lot of times I will depend more upon my human ingenuity, my perceived sense of wisdom than I will upon the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, I'm the first to confess that if I, it is my ingenuity and my wisdom that is ultimately going to be leading this place, <laughs> we're out of luck. Because I will mislead us. 
And I cannot save a single soul. I cannot change the trajectory of a single person's life. I cannot break up the hardened soil of a single heart. I cannot convince anybody to turn their back on an addiction or something they've given themselves over to for any extended length of time. If it's my own energy and my own strength and my own wisdom, I'm wasting my time. But if it's God's Spirit who's doing the work, if it is God's Spirit who is guiding our time, if I am willing to simply wait for the Holy Spirit to move, then there is no stopping what God can do because He has shown that He can blow down walls. He can decimate armies without us ever lifting a hand. Just look at the Egyptian army, the most powerful nation in the world, drown in a heartbeat. He can provide water out of rocks and manna in the morning, every morning. He can provide that rent that we don't know where it's coming from. He can bind up our brokenness. He can heal hardened hearts. He can replace hearts of stone with hearts of flesh that actually begin to be sensitive to his spirit. That's what he can do. It's not what I can do. A couple of weeks ago, I read a story about a Welsh preacher who uh, had been traveling. He had a bit of an itinerant teaching ministry. And he came to a very small village. And everybody in the village was excited. I mean, this is back before they had movie theaters and, and Netflix and other things that would vie. You know, you know ESPN was... was there weren't even organized sports at that point. So everybody was there in the village because this is a big deal. Well, we, got, we got ourselves a visitor. So everybody in the village was there waiting for him, but the, the preacher never showed up. And they were waiting, and they were waiting, and they were waiting, and they're getting more frustrated. And finally, one of the elders of this group says, Hey, somebody go back to the house and check on him and tell him we're ready. So a gal goes running back to the house. And a few minutes later, she comes back and says... You know, he's talking with somebody and I didn't want to interrupt him. So I left him. And they look around and apparently this is a pretty small village because they're like, we're all here. So they could actually count and say like, everybody's here. So I don't know who he's talking with. Go back and get him. So the guy goes running back. And a few minutes later, she comes back and goes, no, no, no. I know he's talking with somebody. I could hear him through the wall. And they're like, well, what did you hear? And she said, he was saying, I will not go preach to these people unless you will go with me. And the elder's like, ah, you know what? We should probably wait. (laughs) I can't help but ask myself, am I that dependent upon the Holy Spirit going with me that I would disappoint people, that I would make people wait? Silence is awkward. That I would tarnish the way that I am perceived and my, my sufficiency at being able to do what I have been called or, or, or paid to do. That I, would, that I would wait because I am so convinced that if the Holy Spirit is not with me, then I don't want to take a step. I was reading Moses' words um, in Exodus 33 this week as I, I got to spend some time up in the redwoods. I'm laying in my hammock just meditating on Exodus 33, where Moses says, God, 
if you won't go with us, then please don't send us out. We don't want to go without you. And I want that to be the cry of my heart. That if you don't go with me, I don't want to take a step. Until your spirit moves, we are content to wait. So why are we here? My prayer is that we would come here with greater and greater expectancy, with a greater and greater hunger that the Holy Spirit will move. But I have to remind myself, we cannot conjure the Holy Spirit. It's not like we dictate when he shows up and when he doesn't. We're not in control. He is. All we can do is like a captain of a ship. We can raise the sail and wait for the wind to blow. But we are not the ones who make the wind blow. And so my prayer, and the reason we are going to spend so much time in Acts, is because Acts is a book about the Holy Spirit moving and blowing through the caverns of the souls of the men and women who had tasted and seen that God is good, and it transformed them, and it changed them, and it sent them out with a renewed purpose, and God began to radically transform the world through them, beginning there in Jerusalem. And God's Holy Spirit continues to blow, and he continues to fill the caverns of people's souls. He continues to wake the sleeping he continues to raise up dry bones and put flesh back on them and change hearts of stone for hearts of flesh. He continues to give prodigals new renewed purpose to be his ambassadors of hope. And he's doing that even here. And I have faith that God, if we are willing to wait and submit, God can do immeasurably more in and through this church, in your families, in your schools, kids that are across the street right now in our workplaces, in the restaurants and, and coffee shops that we frequent, in our neighborhoods. Because at the end of the day, it's not about him transforming this church so that we are more comfortable and taken care of. It's about transforming the world and leading, hurting, hopeless people back to the source of hope and life that we have found and tasted and seen. It's about us being filled up so that we can be used by him, but we don't want to take a step without him. I always think, I, I was thinking this week, like that, that song, fill us up and send us out. I'm like, no, 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 fill us up and go with us. So that everything we do, we are doing with you and for you and by your empowerment so that you get the glory. And we don't for a moment think, look what I've done. I'm awesome. I'm a son of God. That's who I am. I didn't deserve it, but man, he said I am anyway. You are a daughter. You are a son of the living God. And he loves you more than you could ever possibly fathom. And he is saying, I'm not done with you. I know what you've done. It doesn't change how I feel about you. And we're going to do some pretty amazing things. Just strap in. But before we get there, we need to wait. And we need to take a posture of Holy Spirit, who I, here I am. Help yourself to my life. Now, here's one thing I do know. I know where I want 
us as a family to go. And I also know enough to know that I don't know enough to lead us there. Which is why I have been surrounding myself with people who are further along in this conversation than I am. And Brian and Jenny Roundson are two of them, which is why I have basically begged them, would you please come alongside of us for a season? And they are gracious. God is so gracious in placing them on my street, kind of freeing up their schedule a bit so we get a little bit of them. As they are waiting for God, what do you want to do with us? Where are you leading us? And so for this season, Brian and Jenny have said, yeah, we, we are willing to come alongside Lighthouse and help be part of this conversation. And I just want to step out of the way. And as we are preparing to go into a time of response, I want to invite them to share what they have seen as they have been a part of a lot of different movements of the spirit, both here in Costa Mesa, but also across the pond in Europe and around the world. I just want to invite them to share what are ways that we can put ourselves into a posture. And so, Brian and Jenny, if you want to come on up. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. Wow. Well, thank you. It's a privilege to be. Um, well, it's, I've known Eric for a long time, uh, and we've been on the same street for like five years. So it's been amazing how God has brought us together in a timely manner to just become more and more friends. Um, just for time's sake, there's so many stories we could tell, but I just wanted to tell um, a story of our posture over the last couple of years. Um, well, actually, I, I just want to share two things. Uh, I grew up in a church probably very similar to um, Lighthouse, um, but maybe not even as worshipful. I grew up in an environment where, where I always say that we believed in the Trinity, we believed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Book, um, which is true. We believed in the Holy Spirit. We had the, But the fact that the Holy Spirit was a person of the Trinity whose presence in us could fulfill something that Jesus had made possible through his death and resurrection was not a practical reality for us. Or the idea that we could have a regular conversational relationship through the Holy Spirit to our Father was a revolution for us, for me particularly, not Jenny. We didn't meet till college. Um, and my story is one of, I've had a very rational faith where it was about theology, it was about thinking, and I have just been absolutely wrecked by the power of the Spirit in the last 10 years of my life. And a few, a few very simple things. I just want to say one. The fact that I'm up here playing music is a testimony that we need a church of men and women who are desperately listening to the leading and the speaking of the Holy Spirit. Because I didn't play music until I was 19. My best friend, who was the first person I ever brought to church, he was an atheist, he was an atheist, but my best friend during my parents' divorce. And I brought him to church through that process. And he's like, I just want to be with you. So I'm going to go to church with you. He became a Christian. Three years later, I was in college. He was in college. And he had started playing music. And he said, Brian, I was in worship. And I have no idea why, because you're not a singer. <laughs> but, I felt, but I felt the Lord say, I'm supposed to buy you a guitar. And so at 19, going into my first year of Vanguard, I transferred to Vanguard. He buys me a guitar with no reason, never played an instrument, never did anything with music, loved music, but never did it. He handed me this gift, and I was like, what? This doesn't make any sense. Little did I know over the next three years, God would put people in my life that would make music and songwriting and leading worship an absolute part of my calling, without a doubt. Something that we do together and we've led together for the better part of 10 years. That's one way it's absolutely changed my life. 
One more, more recent, I know we don't have time, um, but I just, one more, one more recent one is that over the last two years, I was a pastor on staff at Vanguard for six and a half years, and um, that's where I worked with Sarah J. It's just so fun to see Sarah here. Um, and two years ago, it just became so clear that God was leading us away from Vanguard. So for genuinely, for an 18 months, Jenny and I entered this posture of we know we're supposed to leave, but we don't know what's next. We have no idea what we're supposed to do. And we didn't say that to Vanguard. We just started making efforts by training my replacement, slowly putting in systems that I could walk away. And in January, I finally walked away. And since January, we've had our hands open. We've done these part-time jobs leading worship. We spent two months in England at our friend's church from, from April to June. And that community ignited something in Jenny and I because it reminded us of this heart that we've been longing for to be in a place where every time we gather as the people of God, regardless whether it's coffee or worship or teaching or prayer group, we're standing there waiting going, Jesus, what do you want to say to this group? Holy Spirit, what are you speaking and how are we called to respond? This is what we see in Acts time and time again. It seems almost flippant the way they they make decision in Acts. They'll say things like, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and it seemed good to us, so we went with it. And it's like, wait, we have whole boards of people that make decisions for us. And we were just surrounded by this community that in every single moment, there was an opportunity where someone could just speak blessing or encouragement or consolation. They could speak a word that could change your life or buy you a gift that would change your life. And we were so reminded that we are desperate to be a part of people that, who are that faithful. That Jenny and I want to raise kids who are that hungry. And so since we've been home since June, we came home having no idea what we're going to do for work. And so for the last two and a half months, we've just had our hands out saying, Jesus, we're going to worship and wait. So we've been leading worship and teaching at churches and uh, doing conferences. And I've just been consulting in different places. But our whole time, Jenny and I were never in the same page. I was at one point like, we are going to move back to England, join that church, and we are going to go be with those people that we know that we want to form us. And in that same week that I said that, Jenny's like, there's no way we're moving to England. Right? <laughs> Two weeks later, Jenny sits me down at dinner. I think we're supposed to move to England. And I'm like, there's no way we're moving to England. And so for the last three months now, we've just been back and forth and back and forth. And I mean like seeking earnestly in prayer, in our prayer life, like longing for the Spirit to speak to us. And we just could not get on the same page. We had friends say this to us, and it will forever change us. Our friends said, you know, Brian, I think you need to wait long enough to be astonished. And if you can wait long enough to be astonished, you'll be reminded that however well your strategy is, God has something for you. And he will give you the resources and time and the mindset to do it. And we've just been sitting in that. Like, Lord, we're going to wait long enough to be astonished. And so two weeks ago, and I'm rambling on to get to this point. Two weeks ago, we, we go into a day. It was the 1st of September. We're supposed to tell our friends in England whether or not we're going to be moving to England. Because they basically created a job for us. And then now all of a sudden they need it filled. And they're like, we can't wait any longer. So we go to a church, our friend's church in Anaheim. And we're both just like, Lord, we need you to speak something to us today. Because we're supposed to make a decision about moving our family to England. And we have no idea. We walk into this church. And before we even sit down, this gentleman comes up behind us, a guy named Bob Fulton. And he gives me a word that he spoke on my voicemail two years ago. Reminded me in the midst of the frustration at Vanguard. He spoke that same word to us, but he said, 
I have this image again, and I just want you to know that you've been really dry. He said, you're like a sailboat that's like sitting in the ocean with no, with no sail, the sail's empty, no wind coming. And I just want you to know that the wind is coming. And I don't think you need to be rushed about it. I haven't, I don't, I haven't seen Bob in two years, and that was the word he gives us. And then we sit in that service, and the entire message, Alan is speaking, he's calling the church to step out into faith and to risk. To step out onto water of obedience. And Jenny and I left that service feeling this exact same thing. For the first time in two and a half months, I asked Jenny, well, do you want to share this part real quick or no? Okay. <laughs> I asked her, I say, I say, Jenny, how do you feel right now? Because during that time, we both had prayer. People speak prophetic prayer over us in that service. And we were just wrecked, feeling so open that God was doing something in us. And we both left going, I feel like the Holy Spirit is inviting us to take the one that is the most, to take the step of faith that's the most risky. And I looked at her and I asked, Jenny, what is that for you? And she said, I think that's staying here in Costa Mesa, where we have nothing lined up. <laughs> no jobs, nothing set in place. And I said, I feel the exact same way. But we left there. Got a text from our friends, literally our friends from England, because of the time zone, they're going to bed. Says, hey, at this point, I'm assuming you guys are probably staying in Costa Mesa. But let's talk this week. And we were just like, okay. Like, you couldn't make it any clearer. You have a sermon that spoke to our hearts. You have a, a, a gentleman who spoke a word to me two years ago. Confirm it again and tell us it has something to do with being here. And then you have our friends just kind of flippantly, jokingly saying, hey, I think you guys are staying. And we were just like, okay, God, we have no idea what this means. But we know that we want to be men and women, and we want to be parents who train our kids in a way that the Holy Spirit is speaking at any moment, and we might respond and be obedient. That's what this is about. Can we listen and be obedient? Can you learn to hear what the Spirit is speaking and say yes to whatever that is? And that's what Eric's heart is, and that's what we're so desperate to see for Lighthouse. That's what we're so desperate to see in our lives, so it's a gift that we can show up and be here. And I'm taking longer than I want to, and I'm sorry. But um, is there anything? I just rambled on for five minutes. Do you want to say anything? I, <laughs> I feel like you said most of it. Okay. But I also want to say one thing uh, before we um, <laughs> close in prayer. Maybe I should just like... <laughs> you should. That's a really exceptional story. Right? Someday I'd love to tell you about even our, our daughter's name. There's a story behind her name that is like years of prophetic... Um, uh, healing in her name, and it's really beautiful. But I also want to say, um, we as a community, you as Lighthouse, you get to grow in this. For every time I have a story about like God giving five friends to confirm that we're supposed to stay in Costa Mesa, I could tell you the number of times I've prayed a word of blessing or healing or had a picture or said like, like I was in an Uber two weeks ago in Portland and I was like, I was just, this guy was talking, he was Senegalese and he was telling me about he has seven kids and his wife and, he, and I'm just like, you should pray for his sick wife. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, hey, by chance, I, you know, I believe that God can speak to us and I just really sense that like, maybe I'm supposed to pray for your wife. Is she sick? And he's like, nope. I was like, Okay. Can I pray for her anyway? <laughs> but it's like sometimes we don't hear right, but we lean in obedience. And sometimes the risk is the most important part. The risk of stepping out and going, God, you might be speaking something, and I don't want to move until I've, I've tested whether that's true or not. Does that make sense? That's what excites me. That's what excites me to be men and women who are so formed in the character of Christ that we can step out and risk and learn to be obedient on the way. Amen? Amen.
Anything else? Her name's Evie, which means like she's the first girl in our family in a hundred years. Um, for real, yeah. Um, I know, yeah. Now there's been three. My brothers had three girls after Evie, which is crazy. Anyway, um, what do you want us to do right now? Let's sing. We're just going to sing. Would you guys stand with us as we sing for a few minutes?